Hunter Biden called the GOP's bluff today. So many clips for us to go through here. Trump's legal immunity argument is not just legally stupid, it's also a potential dagger for him politically. This is what you should be talking to your friends and relatives about because it's frightening and it ought to be disqualifying. We'll debunk some January 6th revisionism, give you some tips on how to spot extremism creeping into sports, and finally, we'll dissect one of the biggest right-wing lies out there on social media and how you can respond to it. Welcome back to the podcast for the 54% of Americans who vote for progress in every election and want to convince their conservative friends and family members to join our majority. This is Majority 54. Well, okay, Jason, it it seems like there was a pretty busy day here in front of the House Oversight Committee. Hunter Biden made a surprise appearance today, uh, and this was a meeting of the Oversight Committee on whether to hold Hunter in contempt of Congress. And um, both the Judiciary and Oversight Committees are expected to advance recommendations uh, along a party line vote that Biden be held in contempt uh, because he skipped the closed door interview last month that we talked about. Um, Nancy Mace, uh, the Republican from North Carolina, uh, was pretty uh, pointed. She said, I think he should be hauled off to jail right now. Uh, what do you make of all of this? Uh, yeah. Well, we're going to go through these clips one by one, but I think in setting this up, here's what is important to remember. Cause when you talk about this with people, cause you're going to, and, and again, if somebody brings up Hunter Biden to you, it's likely that you're not trying to persuade them. You're trying to persuade the other person in your company while you're with them. And what's important to point out here is that the Republicans, many of which have dodged subpoenas from Congress themselves in relation to January 6th and, and other items, but they've subpoenaed him and they've said he is only subpoenaed to appear in private. Now, they at first, as you're going to see from some of these clips, they at first were like, do you want to come in private or do you want a public hearing? And he said, I'll take the public hearing. And then they're like, we're going to subpoena you in private. And he's like, no, 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 no. Let's do this in front of everybody. And then he shows up to the very committee that wants to question him. And he's sitting there and they're like, no, we refuse to question you, but we will continue to subpoena you so that we can question you when there are no cameras. And and we're going to like have a motion to basically throw you in jail, a contempt motion for for showing up for a public hearing and refusing to show up for a private hearing. That's where we're at. Uh, and, uh, and 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 Nancy, uh, Nancy Mace is just like she's like wakes up every day. What do I need to do to keep from getting primaried today is pretty much her operating principle, as far as I can tell. Yeah, she used to be the one that everybody told me was the moderate. You know, I've had so yeah. many people say, you got to have her on the Lost Debate show. You'd be so, you know, it's so refreshing to have this voice. This I worked with her way. office on a veterans homelessness thing back before she, I, I don't even want to say drank the Kool-Aid, back before she took on the role of a person who had drank the Kool-Aid. Right. It's amazing. Where should we start with these clips, Jason? I feel like you've been a connoisseur of these clips today, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take my direction from you. Uh, let's see. I guess let's just start with Hunter Biden arriving, and I'll try to narrate it for our audio audience. Everybody, to left or right, left or right, to right, right. left or right. I'm going to ask him some questions, but he is there for the purpose of, of sitting. I think you want to see, he's not going to answer any of these because he's there to sit there and be present while they talk about how he refuses to show up. So we're going to see him. He's going to walk in here. 
involving your dad in your business. To come answer the committee's questions under oath before the American people. This is so the same time now he's walking that they stand in and they're the all off. He's just sitting. He's in the front row of Republican members of with Congress, his lawyer, like Mr. Jordan. ready to talk. Okay, so I guess let's just go through them. Our, our wise producers uh, have put them in an order. Um, do you want to talk about that one first or should we go well, to the so, next one? So I guess my understanding is this wasn't like prearranged. Nobody knew he was coming and he just decided on his own to show up. Yeah, I have to imagine that people like Moskowitz and some of the some of the uh, Democratic members probably were told. I mean, I would think if I were his lawyer, I would have reached out and been like, hey, we're going to be there so that they could tailor their remarks to it. it but I don't know that. It's just my guess. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so, All right, so okay. what happened in this hearing? All right. So now we've got a supercut that uh, Salty and, and, and I think Jeremy put together. Let's let's do supercut number one. Let's just see. You know, let's let's look at Jamie Raskin setting up the contempt of Congress situation with Hunter's testimony, followed by Moskowitz calling for a show of hands on who just wants him to testify now. And then Moskowitz listing all the members of Congress who did not comply with their own subpoenas uh, and putting that in the record. So this, so here's the first part of what happened in the hearing. The chairman refused to take yes for an answer from Hunter Biden. Instead, on December 1, they pulled a bait and switch. They changed the terms of their request. They rejected his offer or his acceptance of their offer and insisted that he now come in and sit for a secret closed door deposition. On December 6th, Hunter Biden's lawyer reiterated that Hunter Biden was willing to accept the chair's original request and once again offered to appear on December 13th or any other date in December to answer any question pertinent and relevant to the subject matter. He again raised concerns about closed door sessions. That's what brings us to today, Mr. Chairman. And the chairman, gave the witness that option, then the only folks that are afraid to hear from the witness with the American people watching are my friends on the other side of the aisle. I don't know if there's a proper motion, Mr. Chairman, but I'll make a motion. Let's vote. Let's take a vote. Who wants to hear from Hunter right now, today? Anyone? Come on. Who wants to hear from Hunter? No one. So. I'm a visual learner, and the visual is clear. Nobody over there wants to hear from the witness. Oh, there's one, thank you. Will you yield for a question? I'm not there yet, but I will eventually. Uh, so there's no one, well, other than one or two, that want to hear from the witness. So the majority of my colleagues over there, including the chairman, don't want to hear from the witness with the American people watching. So, Mr. Chairman, are, I, I just want to hear from you. Will you acknowledge that you invited the witness on television to choose whether he could come to a public hearing? And do you stand by your words or do you renege that invitation to the witness? To answer the question I've said repeatedly, the, after the deposition, Mr. Biden can come in front of a public hearing. Mr. Chairman, I don't want to play the video, but that is not what you said on television multiple times. Uh, we have the quotes. We can put them up. You said the witness can choose between a deposition. Listen, or Mr. Moskowitz, Mr. Biden doesn't make the rules. We make the no, rules. That, no, Mr. Chairman, you make the rules. And the rule you made is that he can choose. I, that, those, the rule is. Those were your, those were your words. Reclaiming we, my time was to my colleagues who talk about lawful subpoenas. I appreciate the gentlelady's 
the gentlelady from South Carolina who voted to, to hold people in contempt. Listen, I'll, I'll make this bipartisan. I'll vote for the Hunter contempt today. You can get my vote. You can get my vote. But I want you to show the American people that you're serious. Here is the subpoena to Representative Scott Perry, who did not comply. I'd like to enter this into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mark Meadows. I'd like to enter this into the record, who did not comply. Here is the subpoena to Jim Jordan, who did not comply with a lawful subpoena. I'd like to enter that into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mo Brooks, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. Here is the subpoena to Mr. Biggs, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. And here's the subpoena to Mr. McCarthy, who did not comply. I'd like to enter that into the record. There's an amendment coming to add some of those names into the contempt order. You vote to add those names and show the American people that we apply the law equally, not just when it's Democrats, right? It's a crime when it's Democrats, but when it's Trump and the Republicans, it's just fine. No, show that you're serious and that everyone is not above the law. Vote for that amendment and I'll vote for the Hunter Biden contempt. I yield back. Okay, so next, uh, so, so that's the beginning, right? And then next what you have is you have a series of Republicans making statements at Hunter Biden as if he's there to testify, because we see this in congressional hearings all the time, right? Somebody shows up to testify, and then they get a tongue lashing from Republicans or Democrats. I mean, if it's Wells Fargo, Elizabeth Warren lets you know what she thinks. If it's Hunter Biden, apparently you get to hear from Nancy Mace and Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like that, but, but they're not letting him testify. He's sitting in the room, and they're saying mean things to him, but they won't let him respond, which is, you know, uh, kind of cowardly. It's totally cowardly. Uh, and then you'll see uh, the response by uh, Moskowitz. You'll see Nancy Mace uh, spout off and kind of embarrass herself, I think. And then Moskowitz and, uh, and um, Goldman come in after that. So let's do that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Chairman Comer. Um, first of all, my first question is who bribed Hunter Biden to be here today? That's my first question. Um, second question, you are the epitome of white privilege coming into the oversight committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here and- M Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Mr. Chairman. If the gentle lady wants to hear from things. Hunter Biden, we can hear from him right now, Mr. And Chairman. Let's take a vote and hear from I'm Hunter speaking. Biden. What are, are you afraid of? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Order, order, order. Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Are women allowed to speak in here or no? Because you keep interrupting me. I'll interrupt the chairman. I don't know that he's a lady. I think that Hunter Biden should be arrested right here, right now, and go straight to jail. Our nation is founded on the rule of come law on, come on. and the premise come that on. the law applies equally to everyone, no matter what your last Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Point um, of it order. It doesn't matter who you are. Point of order, Mr. Chairman. Biggs over Donald here. Donald Trump Jr. Biggs over here. Uh, state your point, Mr. Biggs. Yeah, my, my point of order is this. Are we going to continue on with, with this blatant interruption? It, this, this is absurd and inappropriate. I intend to give my statement. I don't intend to have anybody interrupted. Uh, I'm not going to interrupt your statements. I think you should have decorum and courtesy and don't act like a bunch of nimrods. You just interrupted a woman. And, and that's five. You know, that this is this is a game for these folks. Sure, they want to support their guy. They don't care about America. They don't care about what the president's doing to destroy America. They're just locking horns, locking arms to support their guy. My, my friend from Pennsylvania also chastises us for just supporting our guy. 
And I wonder what, how he would define supporting our guy. Would he define supporting our guy as trying to instigate a coup at the Department of Justice to install a lackey and remove the Attorney General and the Deputy Attorney General so that he could keep his guy in office even though he lost? Is, is that just supporting our guy? Because that's what Mr. Perry did. Okay, last one. Uh, so now we, we've got Nancy Mace very convincingly reading her statement of outrage. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you've got uh well the identity the, politics I, I thought we were against identity politics i'm hearing about her being interrupted because she's a woman i'm hearing about white privilege i mean yeah. what's going on here oh and then and then you've got her colleague her republican colleague interrupting her to complain about her being interrupted which is i think my favorite part uh but now we get to the the last part which is just as marjorie taylor green is about to speak Hunter Biden gets up and leaves. Now, he never speaks the whole time. He goes out into the hallway. She's upset that he's leaving when she's going to talk. But really what's happening is he's taking all of the reporters with him so that his lawyer can give a statement to the reporters outside the hearing room, knowing that that's what people are going to. That's the story people will tell later, uh, which is, I think, a very smart move. So let's let's see that. Gentlemen, time's expired. Chair, recognize Ms. Green from Georgia for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Oh, Apparently, no. you're afraid of my words. Uh, here goes. <laughs> oh. I like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Wow, that's too bad. So this is another angle of him leaving. So this is the angle where it stays with him, and then we'll see what Why his lawyer says when he leaves the room. Why not stay a while? I have a statement to make to the press. Stand. I will have a statement. And scene. What do you think? I mean, Congress is a joke. I have to say, totally. Like, it it's really insane. Uh, so that's just that's one. Is like these people are. It, we've said this for a long time, but the way these people act, like if True acted anywhere near as childish as they are, he'd be punished for a long time. It's just it's it's amazing to me that this is just where we are. I don't. It's not a profound point. The but it, I do think look, it was an effective. I think Moskowitz's. Uh, testimony in particular was very effective. I think like like pushing them to and saying, look, I'll vote for Hunter. Let's vote for everybody. Let's be consistent. There's obviously no answer to that. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing I think that stands out whenever I watch these hearings, and it's, allude, it's to your point about how silly it all is, is that there was a time when regardless of party, people just sat based on seniority. And now they sit in there just like they do in the, in the larger chamber, on the left or on the right. They literally enter from different doors. I mean, they just never interact ever, members of Congress. They don't have to uh, interact with members of the other party. When I was in the state legislature, um, you just sat where you sat. You know, uh, now in the on the on the floor, you sat, you know, the Democrats sat on one side, the Republicans sat on the other. But you went into hearing rooms and you just sat wherever you were going to sit. And it was all mixed up and it made for a much more collaborative process. Now, I don't think you're ever going to get that in this hearing room right on this committee. But it, it just stands out to me every time I, I watch this sort of thing. Um, yeah. Um, 
I, I just, I think that they think they have a debating high ground here that they don't have. They, they're clearly going to get through to the people who are eager to hear that Hunter is corrupt and, and just hear only what they say. But to anybody who's persuadable on this stuff, I do think that the Democrats in the House who are on this committee are doing a good job. And I think in particular, Hunter Biden and his lawyers, particularly his lawyers, are doing a very good job of being like, we're not afraid of you. And we are here to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I think Hunter Biden is an example of somebody who has made a lot of mistakes. Um, but is handling the uh, post-mistake period better than most people who are involved in political scandals. And he's been involved in one at an unfairly high level, considering, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not saying any of the things that he is accused of are okay. I'm saying that if he were not the president's son and he were accused of them, we wouldn't know about him. Um, and I think he's handled that very well in the sense that making the decision to confront them and to go in and say, I'm available. I will talk all you want to talk. I'm just not doing it in secret. Uh, and to just keep showing up, I think is very effective. And I think that the theatrics of taking the press with you at some point, and after that confrontation happens, making a statement to the press, I think is very well done by his lawyers. I do wonder where the Jared Kushner hearings are, like the Democrats right. in the Senate why don't we have hearings on the $2 billion that Jared Kushner received from the Saudis? And you know, Kushner was very much in the Trump government working on the very issues that directly touch on Saudi interests. So I'm just curious, what, what happened there? What's going on there? Well, serious question. Do you think they should? I mean, yeah, I'm, it's hard work. <laughs> I'm half like political hardball guy and half like high-minded, let's focus on the, the existential threats to our country type of guy. But one of those existential threats happens to be Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So I do think, and I do think it's wildly inappropriate what Kushner did. And I think we should make it as hard as possible on people who sell out um, to foreign interests. You know, it's why, you know, to make it bipartisan, I was, I've been very critical of Menendez and have for a long time and think he should resign, right? I think- yeah. I think Jared Kushner, his, his, his deal with the Saudis raises a ton of questions, and I think he should answer those questions. So I'm a third, a third, a third. My first third is political hardball. Like, they're doing this. You know, we do it. Same, same as your first half. My second third, same as your second half, which is, look, what he did is wrong, and it should be investigated, and you got to hold people accountable. But here's my final third, which is, I think maybe that's what they want. I yeah. think that what the other side wants is for the entire election to be about all politicians are corrupt. They want, they want the conclusion of persuadable voters to be Trump is corrupt and Biden is corrupt too, and Democrats are corrupt and Republicans are corrupt. And so what's the point, right? So, so that those people either settle into a low information, persuadable place where uh, you know the other guys at their gym are voting for Trump, so they'll vote for Trump, or they are more uh, uh, more typically uh, left leaning constituency. Maybe they're uh, uh, a working African American, uh, you know, or like a working family that's that's African American or Latino, and they say, you know what, it's all a waste of our time. Let's stay home, right? So, so that's that's my question: is like, is that where they want this to go anyway? That they just want the the Senate controlled by Democrats to be investigating Republicans, and the and the House controlled by Republicans to be investigating. 
Democrats so that as a result, nothing can get done and they can't be blamed for nothing getting done instead of this election being about the threat of Donald Trump to democracy and the literal threats to rights, like the right to, to choice and, um, and voting and, and everything else. You know, Mike, the tiebreaker for me is the Saudis. I would want to make life as uncomfortable as possible for them. That's so if, if, it, if everything's a wash, I'm like, well, at least let's bring some scrutiny to this government that so blatantly is bu- buying off powerful people in our country. Yeah. It, you know, when in doubt, you do your job. And as yeah. long as you can do your job, if you're in the Senate, if you can do your job uh, of trying to advance you know, legislation that'll help people and investigate Kushner, then do it. But the truth is, like, he should be investigated by like the DOJ and, and others. So, um, right. Right. all right. Uh, well, should we, let's take a break and, and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I mean, there's a whole lot going on here. Um, we're going to talk about um, a very bad day in court for Donald Trump. Uh, and we're going to take stock of where things are in this election. Iowa is only five days away. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some January 6th revisionism and then check in with uh, your favorite quarterback from the New Jersey Jets. All of that and more <laughs> when we come back. Sleep is so important to me, which is why I love my Helix mattress. And with everything else that's going on from life to work to you know just my friends and family and everything like that, it's incredibly important to get a great night of sleep every night. And I've had this mattress from Helix for over two years now. And my sleep quality has been so much better. They offer 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress just made for kids. So uh, take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress is stripped straight to you at your door, free of charge. I took the Sleep Quiz, and I got the Midnight Lux mattress because I like to sleep on my side, and I like a medium. Medium, uh, firm, a medium sort of feel mattress. And uh, Helix knows that there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. And that's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10 to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. So, And they've uh, been awarded the number one mattress pick by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. They're offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com majority and use the code helixpartner20. So go to helixsleep.com majority and use the code helixsleeppartner, or sorry, helixpartner20. That's helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So let's face it, after a night of drinks, I don't bounce back the way I used to. And if you're as old as I am or more, you know what I'm talking about. And you sometimes you have to make a choice. Either you have a great night or you have a great next day. And I've been facing that choice until I found Zbiotics. Zbiotics pre-alcohol prebiotic probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD students to tackle rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut, and it's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. 
Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break that byproduct down. And just remember, uh, you can make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, uh, and then you could drink responsibly and you could feel your best the next day. It's amazing. I wish they had this when I was in college. So I first gave Zbiotics a try when I was bringing in the new year. And I drank probably a little bit more than I should have. Uh, and the next day, I felt great. I went out for a surf. Uh, and this is how it's going to be, right? Uh, this year, I want to form more sustainable and better drinking habits. I know so many of you want to do the same. Uh, and you don't have to take the all or nothing approach anymore. ZBotX will allow you to enjoy nights out in moderation while working towards your goals. So go to zbytex.com slash majority54 to get 15% off your first order when you use majority54 at checkout. That's ZBiotics, and they're back with 100% money back guarantees. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So remember to head to zbytex.com slash majority54 and use the code majority54 at checkout for 15% off. And thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and for the good times. All right. Interesting back and forth in court yesterday. Uh, so there's this appeal. Uh, you know, this is the same immunity question that uh, Jack Smith wanted the Supreme Court to answer quickly. Uh, they denied him. Uh, but now it's in front of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, which, you know, they impanel a three-judge panel. This panel is hearing arguments from Trump's lawyers that the president is immune from charges. And it set up some rather interesting back and forths between Trump's attorney and these judges. Um, let's go to this clip. I think that gets really to the heart of the matter. Could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? That's an official act in order to SEAL Team 6? He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. If you weren't, what if he weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that? Chief Justice's opinion in murder against Madison and, uh, uh, and our constitutional tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not. I asked you a yes, no, yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so your answer is. Is, no. is, my answer is qualified. Yes. <laughs> I mean, wow. So this is, this is the corner that they've painted themselves into. They, you know, and, and George Conway made a good point, which is the, the lawyer is contradicting himself anyway. So he's saying, well, the only mechanism essentially is impeachment, but he's also saying that he wants to shield the president from politically motivated prosecutions. Well, impeachment is a political body, right? And, and there's also like the same logic should apply to impeachment, but this panel, I think what's clear is this panel, I think is going to swiftly deny the president's requests. And this panel includes a Bush appointed judge who seems just as skeptical as the rest of the judges. And so then it's going to go to the Supreme Court. I, you know, there's a question about whether this delays things, but I get the sense that they're going to put something out really fast and it will not be that long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think they know they're going to lose. But Trump has really doubled down on this immunity claim. Like, like just the same way that he found safe mental harbor in the idea that the election was stolen when it was not, he has found safe mental harbor in the idea 
that he broke no laws because as president, he is immune from the law. And now he's just saying that. Not just It's not just like something his lawyers are going into court and saying. That has become canon in the Donald Trump universe psychosis series. And now he says it. So let's, let's go to the clip of his reaction, what he said to the press after this hearing. So they're losing in every poll. They're losing in almost every demographic. Uh, numbers came out today that are uh, really very mind-boggling if you happen to be Joe Biden. And I think they feel this is the way they're going to try and win. And that's not the way it goes. That will be bedlam in the country. It's a very bad thing. It's a very bad precedent. As we said, it's the opening of a Pandora's box, and that's a very... It's a very sad thing that's happened with this whole situation. Uh, when they talk about uh, threat to democracy, that's your real threat to democracy. And I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. And if you don't, as an example, if uh, this case were lost on immunity, and I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, I'm working for the country, and I worked on uh, very hard on voter fraud, because we have to have free elections. We have to have strong borders. We have to have free elections. Those two things, almost above all. And we found tremendous voter fraud. We have a list of it. We have some findings if you want it. The press doesn't like reporting it, but we found tremendous voter fraud, determinative voter fraud. So, yeah. so Jack Smith's uh, legal team in their briefings directly address this question of what is and is not covered within immunity. And they said, quote, those alleged acts were carried out by and on behalf of the defendant in his capacity as a candidate in the extensive involvement of private attorneys and campaign staff in procuring the fraudulent slates as alleged in the indictment underscores that those activities weren't within the outer perimeter of the office of the presidency. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, look, like the, especially in the, the DC case, you know, running for president is not a function of the office of president, right? That's how you get to the presidency. Um, but then there's the whole separate question of, well, you're president, the SEAL Team 6 analogy. If Trump is right, then Biden could assassinate Trump tomorrow. And as long as we got enough Democrats in the Senate who decide to cover Biden's ass, that's fine, according to their legal argument. That's right. That, that's, I mean, their argument is he can order hits on people. Like that's that and it's not just their legal argument. Trump said in that clip, I believe it is important that a president has immunity. That's not a president. That's a dictator, right? So the whole idea of like is he just playing footsie with the term dictator? Is he being cute with it? No, no, no. He's describing a dictator. He's saying that if He's president of the United States and a member of Congress he disagrees with, who is going to have a crucial vote on a matter he cares about, comes into his office and he strangles them and kills them. <laughs> that that is not murder. <laughs> that that is a presidential action. Like that is not an exaggeration. That is the argument that they are making. And it is now what Donald Trump believes, which brings me to the point. Uh, that I made in the intro, which is of all the stupid stuff that they have said, this is the dumbest thing that they have said that they did not want to say originally. If it were not for the fact that he is being prosecuted for doing crimes, Donald Trump doesn't come out on the campaign trail and just make a big show of saying presidents should be immune and above the law. 
because it's not a popular thing to say. It might be popular with like the MAGA base, but it's not going to play well in the general election. He's yeah, and let's face it, they don't mean it. They don't mean no. it in the general sense. They mean that their presence. They mean this guy. This yeah, guy. Only their presence. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because he's at the same time out there saying that as soon as he takes office, he's going to prosecute Joe Biden for allowing a special counsel to investigate and prosecute him, which would imply that he doesn't believe that Joe Biden is immune, right, from from breaking the law, even though that doesn't describe someone breaking the law, but whatever. It 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 doesn't it doesn't work. So to me, you know, once you I, I still believe that the most important arguments to make are policy arguments and they're about democracy and they're about rights and they're about extremism. But to the extent that you are debating the two people in this uh, uh, in this presidential election and which uh, the character of the two and what it'll mean for the country, I think it is incredibly important to go ahead and point out that there is only one person who thinks that the president can do whatever they want. And that they can they can murder people if they want, that they can take away rights from anybody they want. I think that is a powerful argument, and it is one uh, that Trump has given to us. Well, let's take a look at the timeline of cases that Trump's facing right now. And this is just a few of the cases, to be clear. Uh, and this is from the Wall Street Journal, um, if salty, if you've got that at your disposal. There it is. All right. So let's take these one at a time. So the Georgia election interference case, he was indicted on August 14th and the proposed trial is August 5th. Now the DA in that case, I don't know if you saw this, Jason, she's in the middle of something unrelated that Meg is piling on. There's some kind of divorce case involving a lawyer in her office in which she is being called to testify. And I think the speculation is that there's some allegation that she had some kind of improper relationship or whatever. So I think there's that's something to keep an eye on, obviously. Um, that will be something that the MAGA crowd sees on. So that's August 5th, the earliest. Uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 election, so the case we're talking about here, indicted August 1st, a scheduled trial March 4th. So that is the soonest of any of the trials. So big question about how these appeals will affect that. On the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case, uh, June 8th indictment, Scheduled trial May twentieth, and then Stormy Daniels April fourth indictment, uh, March twenty fifth scheduled trial. So these are the prosecutions that he is facing. Which, and I know we're going to get into where things are politically, both in the primary, but also the polling in Michigan and that kind of thing right now, and some of which is concerning. But I think an important thing to keep in mind, and you and I have expressed our. I would say concerns about um, Biden running again, and and you know we can't control any of that. So what we can talk about is right now it certainly appears that our candidate is going to be the president, uh, and we should talk about how I think these polls are going to change. And and the reason I think that is is because I think that right now, if you are a persuadable voter uh, in in this coming election, you're a somebody who sometimes you vote for Democrats, sometimes you vote for Republicans, or maybe you're the people who usually vote Republican, but you voted for Biden in 2020. I, I think you're aware that Trump's in legal trouble. I don't think you're paying that much attention to it. Uh, I just don't. I think that if you're, in the, if you're really into the primary on the Republican side, you know as much about it as you're willing to know. If you are willing to take in that information and consider it, you've already done that. And you've either 
said, well, I'm going to be for Haley, but I'll probably end up voting for Trump in the general or whatever. And then if you're people like us, if you're the people listening and watching this, you know all about it, but you're not persuadable, right? So for the persuadable voters, I think that we should not underestimate, and I bet this is what the Biden camp is thinking, and I bet they've even got benchmark polling that shows this, that when you put these actual allegations and the actual fact that he will be in court during the part of the campaign season when these people are making up their minds, I think that it is likely to have a major effect uh, on moving the polls in Biden's direction. I do still believe that. I hope you're right. Uh, Me too. I really are, do hope I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> we are five days, by the way, to Iowa, and the final pre-caucus debate is tonight. Uh, the most recent polls are really interesting. So Trafalgar put out an Iowa caucus poll. It has Trump at 52, Haley at 18, DeSantis at 18, Ramaswamy 5, Christie 3. Um, so Trump is above 50% in that poll. But interestingly, New Hampshire, uh, CNN and the U University of New Hampshire had a poll uh, most recent poll that had Trump at 39, Haley 32, Christie 12, DeSantis 5, Ramaswamy 8. Uh, so Haley at least looks to be closing ground there. Uh, she's closing ground as she appears to be auditioning for the vice presidency. She has tacked significantly rightward in recent weeks. And Chris Christie was asked about why he doesn't drop out and endorse Haley. And he said, well, how would I look if I dropped out and endorsed Haley and she became the vice president under Trump? And honestly, I wasn't sympathetic. And then I heard that argument. I'm like, well, that's actually a pretty good argument uh, because she doesn't seem very trustworthy. And if look, to defend Chris Christie, if I'm Chris Christie and my mission here is to get the Republican primary electorate to pay attention to what a danger Donald Trump is. And I look around at the other candidates, I don't see anybody else making that case. I see Nikki Haley expressing um, Susan Collins-esque concerns uh, about Donald Trump um, and really, really arguing a lot and clearly disliking Vivek Ramaswamy. But I don't see Nikki Haley making the important points and actually putting the evidence in front of Republican voters that they don't want to hear. So I I see Christie's point that it's important that he's there. Well, let's talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. So he he took to the internet this week to castigate his opponents who let the snow, Jason, stop them from campaigning. Let's go to this clip. The other campaigns are canceling events today, not us. We have multiple events planned across Northwest Iowa. We're keeping them intact. If you can't handle the snow, you can't handle Xi Jinping. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's what he would say. So that was Monday. Uh, around 6 a.m. Tuesday morning, Ramaswamy tweeted the following, quote, it now appears effectively impossible to safely get from Des Moines to Coralville for our first event. We'll postpone our visit to Coralville and make sure we return there again before the caucus. We'll resume our schedule today as soon as it becomes possible to drive. Uh, later that day, he got caught in a ditch and an Iowan had to pull him out of that ditch. It's going well you know, over there. It's going well. I'll tell you what, man. Ramaswamy. I, I, I conceptually understand that there are colder places in the winter than Iowa. I know that that must be true. But I think as a fellow person who has campaigned in Iowa uh, in a presidential, um, I think you would agree that it doesn't seem true. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I was in Wright County during the caucus in 2008, 2007, 2008. I was there for a few months in the, the dead of winter. And I 
you know, there's just not a lot of trees in the state of Iowa. Um, I do love that state. And I think what happens is the wind just has nothing to stop it. So whatever, oh, whatever the weather is, it's, it just feels way colder. Every significant piece of cold weather attire I have, including my Gore-Tex boots I bought way back then, uh, and they've all held up. I, I actually bought for quality back then. There's a spot in Des Moines under those skywalks that they put in, in downtown, I think it is, where if you stand there long enough, you will freeze like you're in a 1960s cartoon. Like, I mean, it is, the place is cold, man. And, I do love uh, Iowa, but it is cold. Um, yeah. Oh, I love Iowa too, et cetera, et cetera. We got to say that. But uh, I mean, I, I live right by it, you know, but um, I, I love it. But I'm not, now that I'm not trying to be president, I ain't going out of my way to go there in January or February either. So yeah. uh, it is funny to watch him. Um, flail because you know nobody really deserves it more what a jerk well quickly uh a poll came out uh political reported on this uh it is the glenn gariff group which is a michigan-based group and uh donald trump is trouncing joe biden in michigan um this was january 2nd to january 6th it has trump up 47 to 39 among likely voters in the state is it time to get worried here well, look, it's time to get worried because if we lose the election, it's, we, we may not get to have another one. Um, so uh, even if this poll said that Biden was up by 10, I think it would be time to get worried. Um, but yeah, no, like I'm, I'm pretty concerned about it. But again, what I keep coming back to is, is that it is one thing to talk about the prospect of a presidential candidate being convicted for really serious crimes during a presidential campaign, it is another thing for it to actually happen, right? And for people to actually hear some of this stuff. I mean, they're having to go down a road now where Donald Trump is going to have to say while campaigning for the presidency, presidency of the United States that once I'm president, I can order a hit on any one of you and it's okay. That's, that might work, which is really frightening, but it also is not. It's not a political strategy you would choose if not out of necessity, if it weren't your legal argument. Well, you know, the, the, the environment within the Republican Party has fundamentally changed. You have the retirements of people like Kinzinger, Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, uh, and then uh, you have the so-called moderates like Nancy Mace, who we just heard from, who doesn't sound anything like she used to. Another one of those people who people used to tout as a moderate is Elise Stefanik uh, from the Northeast corner of New York State. Uh, she uh, doesn't sound too moderate. She went to meet the press, was asked about January 6th. Let's go to this clip. You think that the people who stormed the Capitol should be held responsible to the full extent of the I law. have concerns about the treatment of January 6th hostages. Uh, I have concerns. We have a role in Congress of oversight over our treatments of prisoners. Uh, and I believe that we're seeing the weaponization of the federal government against not just President Trump, but we're seeing it against conservatives. We're seeing it against Catholics. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud to serve on the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Government, because the American people want answers 
officers. They want transparency. And they understand that as you look across this country, there seems to be two sets of rules. If your last name is Clinton or it's Biden, you get to live by a different set of rules than if you're an everyday patriotic American. I've been clear, Kristen, if you go back and play the full speech I gave on the House floor, I condemn the violence just like I condemn the violence of the BLM riots. But I also importantly stood for election integrity and security of our elections, which if we don't have that, we do not have a democracy. Mm -hmm. So the real threat to our democracy is these baseless witch hunt investigations and lawsuits against President Trump, whether it's Tish James or whether we see in the D.C. Circuit Court. And that is undemocratic and it's shredding our Constitution. And you know who agrees with me, Kristen? The American people. Okay, that lady is frightening because she's very good at that uh, at that little pitter patter. Um, she is she is very good at better. that. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's a lot better at the ba 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 rhythm than most of these tools. Um, and and that Harvard is educated Harvard educated Elise Stefanik, who uh, she's the one who was in the Claudine Gay hearing, is the one who pushed them on the. She's very good at her evilness, and and at that it, she's one to watch. I think she's very scary. I think now I see why people talk about her as a likely uh, choice for running mate um, for Trump. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, that is super awful. Uh, <laughs> and now, what, what you I missed think- is that they showed her a clip of herself getting up in the house the day of January sixth, castigating the rioters. So what's what's notable is now she's calling them hostages. And that's what I mean about her pitter patter is that yeah. then she she twists that into look, I condemned the violence. And then she equates it with Black Lives Matter says they're the same. I condemn violence, but these people are hostages. It's that all I need is a very very loose thin thread between what I'm saying and something that might make sense and then you forget where I started. Um it's it's very effective and frightening. Yeah, it's just I think it's more evidence of just how the party is, is which wasn't in a great place a year or two ago, is it even mm-hmm. a worse place today? Uh, well, one guy who I think we're not quite sure what his relationship is to the party, but he seems to really enjoy the spotlight. But he's he's being silenced, to be clear. But he he he's being silenced yet seems to appear on the largest sports network in the world on a weekly basis. Is, is Aaron <laughs> Rodgers? I want credit, by the way, for the fact that Leonard Floyd of the Buffalo Bills ended his season for oh, everybody geez. this week. I that's just want, little, that's, that's, I want I want I want everybody, whether the Bills win the Super Bowl or not, I think we deserve some credit for that. We don't normally <laughs> we don't normally like injuries around here. Oh but, my gosh. You now you see your 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 Bill's brain is you're going his direction. The best but, part right. of my brain. The best yeah. part of my brain. But okay, he he and Kimmel, we talked about it last week, are go, have went back and forth this week. Uh, this is kind of a super cut from, I think it's either Inside Edition or one of those uh, news shows. Uh, let's go to this clip. Aaron Rodgers is firing back at Jimmy Kimmel today. I don't give a what he says about me. Blasting him after the late night host slammed the quarterback in a seven minute monologue last night. Aaron Rodgers has the right to express any opinion he wants to, but saying someone is a pedophile is not an opinion. Kimmel was left fuming after Rogers appeared to suggest last week that Kimmel might be on a list of associates of convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Has something to do with the Epstein list that came out? (laughs) 
Feels like. <laughs> Feels like. That's supposed to be coming out soon. A lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't happen. Either he actually believes my name was going to be on Epstein's list, which is insane, or the more likely scenario is he doesn't actually believe that. He just said it because he's mad at me for making fun of his top knot and his lies about being vaccinated. Kimmel challenged the Super Bowl champion to apologize. When I do get something wrong, which happens on rare occasions, you know what I do? I apologize for it, which is what Aaron Rodgers should do, which is what a decent person would do, but I bet he won't. If he does, you know what I'll do? I'll accept his apology and move on. But there was no apology today. Rogers speaking out on ESPN's Pat McAfee show was defiant. He says he never suggested Kimmel was a pedophile. I said a lot of people, including Jimmy Kimmel, are really hoping that doesn't come out. End quote. I totally understand how serious an allegation of pedophilia would be. So for him to be upset about that, I get it. I'm not stupid enough to accuse you of that with absolutely zero evidence. He says he wants this to be the final word on the feud. As long as he understands what I actually said and uh, that I'm not accusing him of uh, being uh, being on a list, then I'm all for moving forward. What I mean, what a weak dude that he can't apologize. And to claim that he was not saying that, he was quite clearly implying that yes uh, i mean he's a coward really and i totally. think and and he did this with his own teammates if you remember with the vaccination he says i wasn't um he says i was immunized mm -hmm. uh, during the whole covid thing uh and it turns out he didn't get have the vaccination and he was like well i meant you know immunized means and then he came up with this convoluted definition which makes no sense he's a such a politician actually yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's, like. he claims he claims he's the straight talk guy and he's a liar. He claims he's being silenced, yet he's platformed on the largest network in television. And he uh, obviously enjoys the attention. Uh, he loves the limelight. And yeah, I'm sick of him. Like, I, yeah, I, I, maybe, maybe we made a mistake in injuring him that first week because maybe if he was actually focused on football games in the playoffs, we wouldn't have to hear from him on this kind of stuff. Well, here's my favorite thing that uh, he said this week, which is when he was asked, what do the Jets need to do to be able to win next oh, year? Oh, yes. <laughs> and he said, he said, we got to we got to cut out any bullshit and we have to we, we can't we got to get rid of any distractions, anything that doesn't have to do exclusively exclusively with winning. We got to get rid of that. And then he went on the Pat McAfee show and talked shit about Jimmy Kimmel. Like, I mean, it's. Like, like that's not leadership it's cowardice and the reason that i wanted us to talk about this is because it is important that people who listen and watch this show listen to and watch this show be able to spot the other places that extremism can creep into the into the minds of your friends and family because when people watch pat mcafee's show they do not think that they are taking in political content or propaganda. They do not think that they are doing anything to form their own opinions about politics. In fact, they think, understandably, that they are escaping from real news and from politics. So then when somebody like Aaron Rodgers comes on and says all the conspiratorial stuff that he likes to go on there and say, including stuff like this, it gets past 
the potential guards at the door of your mind. And it's the same thing that, you know, Rogan does and that these shows that seem like mainstream bro culture, but are actually pushing a very extreme agenda in a, in a subtle way. And I'm not saying McAfee's doing it, but by letting Rogers continue to come on, he's an accomplice to it. He's enabling it. That's really dangerous. And we've got to be on the lookout for that uh, in our friends and relatives and in ourselves, frankly. I'm dumbfounded, you know, because McAfee is somebody who I started to really enjoy watching. And it's this this place like you want to watch sports. You just you don't want to talk about this stuff. It's like you turn it on and you're like, let's make fun of like, you know, the bills for blowing another game and talk about, you know, he does the whole shtick with the Alabama fans and the Georgia fans and all this. It's like why he even felt it was in his interest to have this guy continue to come on. And this is not the first time Rogers did stupid stuff on the show. It's like mm-hmm. for McAfee, it's like to the extent he cares about people like us, right? Like maybe he's just going for a certain demographic, but he, even with all the previous mistakes, I was starting to think, you know what? Maybe McAfee's thing is he doesn't have strong opinions on these things. And he, he's just a non-judgmental forum. People can come on, they don't like have to have a certain kind of politics. If they say like borderline stuff, he'll kind of shrug it off. Like there was different moments where he kind of, he, he gently jabbed Rogers for different things. But I think throughout this, he's really raised a lot of questions. Um, well, and especially some of the people on his show have explicitly endorsed, like some of his co-hosts have explicitly endorsed these ideas. And that's dangerous for him. I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying like a lot of the right has said in the past, I don't think you're saying this either, that athletes and that sports commentators, that they should just stick to sports and stay out of politics. I'm not saying that. If you want to talk about politics, go ahead. Like if you want to use your platform to advance what you're doing. But I do believe it is irresponsible to do that, even if you're doing it unwittingly, and then hide behind the idea that this is just a sports show, that, right. that nothing here is, is political. That's, that's really problematic. Um, and, and so, oh, well, okay, we have a, a breaking news that Salty's putting on us. Yeah, well, I think clearly he's watching live because uh, now it's breaking that Aaron Rodgers will not appear on Pat McAfee's show anymore this season. Um, there you go. And, and then it's a quote from McAfee saying, there will, there will be a lot of people that will be happy with that, myself included. I think that's a step in the right direction. It may also just be, you know, it's the same parent company Well, that's uh, a pointed sentence, myself included. Yeah, I read that to be, I'd have to see it, but I read it to be, this has been a real headache. I don't want to deal with all this anymore. Well, good for him. Uh, He says, okay, I'll read this now. Um, Aaron Rodgers' Tuesday season four is done. Um, There will be a lot of people that will be happy with that, myself included, to be honest. With the way it ended, it got real loud. I'm happy that that is not going to be my mentions going forward, which is great news. Good for you. Pat McAfee. I think that's awesome. That's the way to handle it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and look, I, I think this will now lead to the inevitable accusations of silencing. Yeah, yeah. Look, Rogers has plenty of places to go, and look, nobody. I'm not saying they should have canceled the Pat McAfee show if he kept Rogers on. I'm just saying I personally don't like to listen to him, so mm-hmm. it's my prerogative not to listen to him. And and on your point about um, athletes and all that, my bar is really high. Everybody could say whatever they want, but I, even when it comes to people who I agree with politically. Like a good example is all these NBA people who speaking out about one thing or after another, but then when China gets mentioned, yeah. they get really silent. Even people like Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, and stuff like that, who suddenly lose their tongue when it comes to Hong Kong stuff, like what happened with Daryl Morey. By and large, a lot of these people are full of it. 
So like the, the very few who are not, I love those people, you know? Mm-hmm. So when Daryl Morey went after, uh, he didn't even go after, he said justice for Hong Kong or something like that and had to apologize for it. This kind of stuff, it's like a lot of these people are, they're not exactly, you know, we're, we're not dealing with like Noah Yuval Harari or Ian Bremmer, you know? It's like, <laughs> these are people yeah. who, these are not exactly people with the knowledge and the standing to say that many interesting things. So I'm even in the camp of like, I'm not like the shut up and dribble type. I'm just like, it takes a rare person who's caught up in these systems to me that is interesting on these issues because so Mm -hmm. many of them are so muzzled by their financial relationships. If you want to see the perfect example of how to do it, it's Bill Walton. You go back and you look at the example of of Bill Walton. That's the guy people can look at. Bill Russell too. Yeah. Bill Russell went down to Mississippi. You know, Bill, Bill Russell who, defied a lot of the NBA leaders mm-hmm. and even to being in the NBA was a miracle for him at that time uh, and went down to Mississippi at a time when it was very dangerous to be down there and fought mm-hmm. for racial justice. Like that's, that's real courage there. Um, but okay. We had a voicemail, Jason, you want to, you want to tee this one up from our listener that's related to the Rogers stuff? Uh, yeah. So this is, are you talking? This is actually the democracy. This is the email: the democracy versus democratic republic. Yeah, I think this yeah. was in response because Rogers said yes, the republic thing. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. right. You're right. Okay, so um, uh, so Adam Hutchinson uh, wrote to us and he said, "I just finished listening to this week's episode where you and Ravi talk about Biden's message of working to preserve democracy and its importance. One thing I've seen in local social media posts and heard people mention in my very red corner of upstate New York is that." quote, America is a republic, not a social democracy, or quote, a constitutional republic like America isn't the same as a democracy. While I know what these points are getting at, a rationale for anti-majoritarian governing, I'm not sure how to counter that, quote, point, other than to say a republic is just a type of representative democracy and that they're splitting hairs. So yeah, he says, any insight from you or Ravi would be appreciated. And this is a good one because I keep seeing this on social media too, and I bet our listeners are you know having this spouted at them that anytime somebody says I'm worried about democracy, I'm worried that Trump is an enemy of democracy. They say this isn't a democracy; it's a democratic republic, which is really just like a, I think, frankly, just like an annoying like eh, like correcting yes. your grammar. Yes. Um, but I think it does need to be responded to. I've written some notes on it. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. Yeah, and, and my, my thought is that. The most important thing to know about uh, a democratic republic is that the point of it is to protect the rights uh, of minorities from the mob, right? That that's why it's a democratic republic, so that you can't have just a general majority vote that says we vote these people off the island. But when we talk about a threat to democracy, we're talking about a part of America that is democracy, which is the part where we get to choose who we vote for. And when when one person gets more votes than the other person, that's democracy. That's supposed to be the result of that in America is supposed to be that person wins the election. Or if it's a referendum, for instance, that issue, it goes in the direction of the majority of voters. It's just not allowed to go against the rights of a minority. Meaning if, if, if uh, somebody gets more votes than the other person, they get to take office. That's democracy. The Democratic Republic part is that they don't get to take office and then say, and now next time the people who voted against me aren't allowed to vote because the point of a democratic republic is to protect the rights of the minority. Now for us liberals, the inconvenient part of that is that the way the Supreme Court currently reads, say the second amendment, which we disagree with, but the way they currently read it means that is considered a minority right. And that no matter how many times we would vote for something that the Supreme Court says violates the constitution, you wouldn't be able to enact that law. 
but it doesn't mean that we're not a democracy and that democracy is not under threat. Yeah, I agree with you on the sort of nitpicking part of it, right? It's often meant, sometimes it's people, I get people at my mentions and I'm, I, I try to be careful in getting the language right, which is that we're a representative uh, democracy or a constitutional republic or whatever. Um, but people still nitpick because they're assholes. Mm-hmm. But I also yeah. think that the, uh, yeah, what they want, what they're guarding against is the fact that the Republican Party hasn't won a majority in most elections that they even assume the presidency and have governed in no way with that in mind. Like, so they're not like, they don't govern with the humility that they're governing with a minority of the American public. Uh, and so they want to create an intellectual underpinning for that, period. That's it. Mm-hmm. And now they want to go even further because republic can mean a lot of different things. Uh, so they now want to go even further and say, well, you know, if the electors change their minds and yada, 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 well, that's still fine because we're a republic. We're not a democracy. And, and the ballot box is is not the only way to choose a representative. That's what I'm picking up on now. And, yeah, and go ahead. Well, what does Rogers care about? What I'm interested in is what it, when Aaron Rodgers gets on Pat McAfee and has with his 10 minutes decides to mention that we're a republic, not a democracy. What is Aaron Rodgers getting at with that? Is my question. You know, dude, I think you, I think you nailed it. Aaron Rodgers got hurt, and then Aaron Rodgers, all he had to do, he did his rehab during the day. But he's clearly not a team-oriented enough guy that he was in the meetings to try and help. Uh, what's the backup? Zach Wilson. He, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't going to go in there and try and read defenses and try and be, you know, a quarterbacks coach. He wasn't. Apparently, he wasn't going to do that. What he was going to do was he was going to get on Reddit and he was going to listen to Rogan all day. And he was, you know, that's that's what I think happened. And and but I think there's a lesson in that because there are a lot of particularly white men uh, who have a lot of extra time and their lives aren't going the way they want. And I think you could be a many, many times millionaire and a famous athlete and still fall for that stuff. And and so nobody is immune, you know? And what he said was interesting. It's worth mentioning because this is a talking point, which he says, we have too much, we have this emphasis on equality today, but, but America, the constitution is about freedom, not equality. That's what Aaron Rodgers said. Something the equivalent of that when he was mentioning this Republic comment. Now, it doesn't take a constitutional scholar to read the reconstruction amendments, which are all about equality, right? The equal protection of the laws, <laughs> uh, for example. Uh, and freedom and equality often have to coincide, for example. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yes. So the, the freedom from slavery was also about equality, right? And I'm not sure exactly what he was trying to get at, but uh, the question around um the question around equality what you hear from republicans is well it's about equal democrats want equality of outcome not equality of opportunity and i'm like well let's have that debate because yeah i do think there's some people on the left who probably err more on the outcome than opportunity side certainly this is a big debate on education circles but at least try Aaron Rodgers to make a point about it. Like, I don't like, why do I have to squint to try to get at what you're trying to say? Like, if you really want to get on Pat McAfee as if it's like Charlie Rose or something and make a point about this, really do the work and make your point. 
because you do your own research, I, I, I guess. Like, so do it. Show us what the research <laughs> yeah. that you've done. You know, put on put on your lab coat that you. Yeah, used. put on your lab coat. Mix. Get those beakers out. Let's go. You know. <laughs> That's right. Uh, All right. Well, in one for us, let's stick to football. I think. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, the two years ago. You traveled here to Kansas City when the Bills came here in the playoffs and endured, we won't have to go back through it, endured what was great for me and bad for you. If the Chiefs beat the Dolphins, which we don't know if they're going to do oh, this six Saturday, six. and if the, uh, if the Bills, uh, who do you, you have the Steelers? Yes. Yeah, you're almost certainly uh, Well, we can win. lose to anybody. We're, we're very I know, good. I know, I know. I'm messing uh, with you. Um, yeah. Then I just have to, I don't think I can get out there because we'll have to go to Buffalo. I don't think I can, but I have to look because I, I just occurred to me just now that if that scenario happens, I have to at least look at whether that's a trip I, I that. can make. Because I feel I like, that. and I think you're going to beat us. So I feel like I owe you one. Um, so I don't know if I can. I have to look at, you know, kids' schedule. I was going to ask you, but I know that things are harder for you. Uh, and also, like, Buffalo is harder to get to than Kansas City. I mean, um, so, but. I assume uh, you're going to go to one of these. Yeah, that would be the one I would go to. I actually am talking to Hodari about going this weekend, but I have to change my flight back to do it. So I haven't yeah. decided yet. I'd love All to right. go to Buffalo. And it's like, you know, I don't live, you live in Kansas City. I don't live in Buffalo, but it's, it's, it's not that hard to get to from New York City. You just take a 45 minute flight. So. It'd be fun. If I can do it, I, 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 I got to look. I haven't even looked at my calendar, but it would be, it would be fun to do. And let's be honest, in all likelihood, I'd be going to, to take my, my licking on it because I just, I mean, your team looks so good right now, and uh, and I we're, just don't see we're us. We're a hot mess in a way that I think is really endearing. Everybody mm -hmm. I listen to who, who comments on it is like, man, these bills. It's like I, I, I actually enjoy the fact that we are so entertaining to everybody in the sense that you just never know what you're going to get from Josh Allen. Is it going to be an interception? Is it going to be this heroic, you know, crazy pass? And I'm at peace with it. Like I had no expectations. We had a we had a point one or point two percent chance of winning the second seed um, when we were six and six, and yeah. we somehow won it. So at this and point, eleven and six, it's all gravy from here. I I'm just happy to still have a team to watch on TV. I will say, I hope that somehow uh, the the downtrodden, somewhat downtrodden Chiefs figure this out and win the Super Bowl again. But if they don't, uh, I really do hope that the Bills win. Um, yeah, it's a fun year. Know, so. I mean, it's been excruciating, but um, yeah, it's it's been very interesting. Well, okay, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I guess I should close it out here. Okay, um, please leave a five star review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, that kind of thing. Um, thank you to the Midas Mighty. Uh, you can find us on social media at Jason Kander and at Ravi M Gupta. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.